This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Talksplode with Ryan North. Hey, this is Josh Flanagan with iFanboy.com, and I am here today with cartoonist and writer Ryan North. You might know him from Dinosaur Comics, a, a institution on the web. Uh, for 20 years, 
Uh, you also might know him from uh, The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, which 50 issues of at Marvel, multiple graphic novel and comic book projects, and most recently, uh, he's, he's helming Fantastic Four and uh, Secret Invasion. Let's get on with it. This is Josh Flanagan with iFanboy, and I am here with Ryan North. Hello, I'm Hi Ryan there. North, and I'm here with Josh Flanagan on iFanboy. That all checks out. That's that's pretty good. Now, um, I you you've been writing comics for a really long time, uh, <laughs> relatively speaking, and and I will I will say that. I'm not super familiar with all of the work that came before, so the last uh, couple of things. I know Squirrel Girl was going on for a while. I didn't read it because I was like, oh, that's a funny book. I don't want to read it. Which <laughs> nothing, nothing to do with you. It just it wasn't a thing. And, and I've, I've since read it. or Not all of it, but I, I've read a bunch of it. And I was like, you were just being reductive there, and you missed something you might have enjoyed. Right. But, uh, you know, but I think one of the things that's interesting is, this is going to be my entire thesis here. How does a person who has a computer science degree and goes to school for that, end up doing a lot of sort of mainstream comics. Like, first, I understand you went, you did Squirrel Girl. It's a funny comic. You did, you did a comic before that. You know, mm-hmm. but now you're doing, uh, you're doing Fantastic Four. And every time I read one of those Secret Invasion books, I go, wait, that's him? Because it's, <laughs> it's a very different tone. You don't need yeah. to answer that question now, but <laughs> let's No, that's I mean, it's, it's a fair starting. question. Um, actually, I love that because I did uh, worked on Squirrel Girl for five years and it was Marvel's longest running book that wasn't called Star Wars when we ended it and uh, I think the next one that came out was a one shot uh, Iron Man Darkhold which is a horror story Mm -hmm. and I enjoyed seeing people online being like holy cow Ryan North wrote this the Squirrel Girl (laughs) guy wrote this what's going on um So to answer your question, uh, the way you do it is you graduate with a master's in computer science, and then you have a choice between, or well, during that education, you start a webcomic called Dinosaur Comics, and you keep doing that. And so when you graduate, you have a choice between uh, getting a real job or doing webcomics. And to become a full-time web cartoonist, you just have to fail to get a job, which is super easy. So you do that. And then uh, you wait 10 years doing your comic, you get better at writing, and during that time, one of your readers uh, grows up, graduates school, gets a job at Boom Studios, hires you, hires a Dinosaur Comics guy to write the Adventure Time comic, and uh, that's a lot of fun, and you have a great time, learn a lot. And then uh, the next step is Will Moss at, uh, at DC, then at Marvel, um, read it, and liked it, and one talking about Squirrel Girl, and that leads to uh, now Secret Invasion, Fantastic Four, all sorts of good stuff. So it's a long, I mean, it's a long road, and it's probably a much faster way to do it, but <laughs> I just wanted to do comics and uh, started doing a comic, put it online where people can see it, and the nice thing about that is it's, it's practice, it's work, you're getting better at what you do, um, but if you're lucky, you're also gathering an audience, and <laughs> that, that helps. Well, so let me go back and flesh out that timeline a little bit. Um, you know, you had you uh, had you grown up with comics? Were you a, were no, you a comic kid? No. no, I'm I'm 42 years old, and uh, when I was growing up, the internet was not really outside of the ARPANET phase that much. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a rural village. There was the comic book store was in Ottawa. I was in Osgood. That was half an hour, 40 minutes away. I didn't have a car, mm-hmm. and so I liked the idea of comics. I liked sort of comics. I thought I liked comics through cultural osmosis. Like I knew who Batman was, I knew who sure. Superman was, I knew I liked those guys. 
but I never really read a book outside of what you'd get with like a packet in a cereal box or something. Mm-hmm. And so I graduated high school, I got a job, and with my remember the first paycheck, I walked into the comic book shop in Ottawa and just bought books at random. I, I was like, <laughs> I know nothing. What looks good? And I bought three books. Uh, one of them was Dark Knight Returns, which is a classic of the genre. The other was uh, Superman, Peace on Earth by Paul Dini and Alex Ross, which is sort of a oh, wow. picture book version. Also amazing, but still I, one of my I favorites. I have that, I think. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's like a big and digest size thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, a, it's like yeah. a picture book. It's big pictures, story about Superman being like, I'm Superman. Why do I not simply solve world hunger? And he tries mm. and fails. And it's so great. <laughs> and the third book was really bad, and I forget what it was. But like two out of three is not bad. And Did so you, I just well, kept buying more comics. Having not sort of had a history in reading comics, what did you make of something like like Dark Knight Returns? Because it's very... I remember I bought that early, too. Like, that was one of the first sort of... But I was... I want to say I was 12, and I was like, I don't know what this is, but that's mm-hmm. a topless Nazi lady. Like, it was a lot. You were <laughs> older, but still, I'm wondering what you made of it. So, uh, I was kind of super primed for it, because I was like 19, 20 years old, and I really liked the idea of Batman and I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder of the, mm-hmm. you know, comics aren't just for kids anymore sort of thing. And so here was this Batman comic, which is, you know, set off that whole Biff Van Pow comics aren't just for kids anymore thing for the next 10, 15 years. And it was laser focused on what I wanted a Batman story to do just then. It mm-hmm. was uh, dramatic. It was adult. It was gritty. It had everything I wanted. And, um, yeah, so it, it hit me. It uh, was like it was written just for me. Did you say so you keep buying comics regularly from there? Maybe not weekly, but just picking up what there was? Oh, yeah. No, I never um, really got the monthly stuff. I just walk in and buy trades based mm-hmm. off the cover, based off you know characters I like. Very random. I had disposable income for the first time in my life, and I was giving myself a comics education just by... Uh, picking stuff out, I, I quickly gravitated actually towards a lot of the indie stuff. Um, Eddie Campbell, Craig Thompson, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked it. And I didn't, I somehow, I think it's because Dark Knight Returns, it's the writer and artist being the same person. I didn't realize the comics writer was a job you could have for a very long time. <laughs> I realized <laughs> I, that much later than I should have. Yes, yeah. Like I, I read a lot of books where there were writer-artists, and the indie stuff is mostly writer-artists. And I kind of thought that was what you did, and I really wanted to make comics, but didn't have any skill at drawing. And so uh, Dinosaur Comics or Webcomic was my solution to that, where it's the same pictures, but different words. I change the words every time I do a new one. And I... Normally, when I describe dinosaur comics, I say it's better than it sounds because it doesn't sound that good, but it's pretty good. I mean, we had 20, 20 anniversary, it was this month, 20 year anniversary. I've been doing this for two decades. I don't feel like you need to justify its existence. Like, yeah, I think you're, you're good with that. <laughs> it's, people seem to like it and have for quite some time. Yeah, so I they think have. you're good. But if you uh, haven't heard of it, I just want to describe it. I want to make sure that it sounds good and not just like, so he changes the words and it's the same pictures. Like, why? I mean, why? I mean, you turn that into a feature, not a bug. That's all. It's just, yeah. yeah. It's, um, were you always, I mean, like, did you want to be a writer? Did you have that sort of in the background, but you, you know, you, you did computer science, but obviously you have a creativity that you're not going to hold down. Yeah. Um, I struggled a lot in high school with this idea of what you study sets the course of your life and defines who you are. Right. Because 
like a lot of teenagers, you can't put me in a box, man. I have a lot of interests. I'm not just one of your normal people. And so I had a choice. And it was, do I want to study computer science, which I enjoy and am good at, or do I want to study uh, writing English literature, which I enjoy? And uh, it came down to the fact that I felt like I could do computer science and still write in my spare time. And I didn't feel like I could write and do computer science in my spare time to the same degree. So Fair. I did an undergrad in computer science with a minor in film, which is how I got the creativity part into there. Right. And then um, applied to grad school, got in, and thought, well, I guess I should go do grad school. And I started Dicer Comics in my last year of undergrad. So it was sort of the first real um, comics writing I ever did. Now, now the according to the Wikipedia entry, there was you saying <laughs> well, no, half truth well, and innuendo. Either way, I mean the idea no, being, you know, do something created with the internet. You create that book. Do you think if you hadn't been forced to be in that situation, you would have started something like that 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 lived for so long? Oh, I don't know. I thought about that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I was chatting with a friend of mine, and we were talking about. Um, sharing secrets like you do when you're a friend with another friend. And yep. uh, we were like, well, let's share a temporal weak point in our lives where if time machines are invented, this is the one event you can shove in a different direction to completely rewrite our lives. Ugh. And mine uh, was that, that thing of starting dinosaur comics because February 1st, 2003, that leads to everything else that's happened um, mm -hmm. in very direct ways. And so I hesitate to say that I would have done it anyway because I hadn't done it until then. Like it took a class mm -hmm. assignment that says do something interesting with the internet for me to, to sit down and do this. So I think it's probably pretty likely that if I hadn't taken that class and hadn't decided to do this, if I had just done something else, then I would probably uh, still be working as a software developer. Mm -hmm. What made you keep going? keep writing it was yeah, fun I mean and I liked it yeah and I mean it helped that that see I think of this a lot because dinosaur comics is the same pictures and so if you put a lot of dinosaur comics together uh <laughs> say on a wall it looks crazy <laughs> right and if I had spent 20 years writing dinosaur comics and just putting them on my wall or like putting them in a stack that's something a crazy person does not sharing them just like writing this giant stack of comics the same pictures for my own benefit people would be worried about me. But by putting them online, uh, it, it attracts an audience, it found a community, and so it became something that was really, really fun. Uh, on top of the fun of writing it and, and, and ex read, exploring comics, it became uh, a community and a, a career. So it's not, it's a sort of struggling to answer like why you keep doing it because it, there's all like, these benefits that come from it. It felt like a really good thing. It didn't feel like a chore. <laughs> I mean, I've I gotta say like this, you know, this website, these podcasts that we do, it's very similar in that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I was talking to my friends and I started this website in 2000, you know, we started podcasting in 2005, mm -hmm. everything good that ever happened <laughs> kind of came from it as well. And, you know, we often are like, well, should we stop? And I was like, I don't know. It's still a lot of fun. Like, mm -hmm. I, and we, we say we can't stop. So was it, did you start to get responses from people relatively quickly? Um, like, I mean, people, you're like, oh, people are reading this. People are, people are, you know, more people are showing up, uh, you, you know, getting that feedback, that positive feedback. Yeah, not for a while. I mean, this was 2003, remember? So there's, there's mm -hmm. no YouTube, there's no social media. Um, you 
connect to sites by sending an email to the person. And that's a, that's a big <laughs> ask. So I remember, I think a year and a half into it, I put up some, some buttons for sale and some stickers. And then my first sale, someone bought a single sticker and I sent them like 25. I was so excited. <laughs> and they were like, we, I only needed one, but thank you. So it was, it wasn't, um, a large community at the start, but I didn't know that was a thing you could do. Like the internet was a lot more isolated. I only knew the, of what other web comic mm-hmm. Aikwood, Chris Onstad's work. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'll be the second comic. And so <laughs> I would, I would read Aikwood. I'd do my own stuff. And it just felt like there was no, um, no goalposts, no bar of, of like checkpoints you're supposed to hit. So I didn't know, didn't have the idea if I was doing well or poorly. I just was enjoying the process of doing it. That's uh, that's kind of pure and wonderful because I mean there there is a bit where you're not sort of getting other people saying great job, but you're still doing it, and so you're, you're enjoying it for that. I mean, we did our website for yeah. five years before we started doing podcasts, and literally at one point there was just one guy, and he would yeah. come. And I mean, comment. it's it's, it's so different now, right? Because everything is public, and you can see not just like how popular every site is, but how popular you as an individual are and what the response <laughs> was on your most latest thing and all these metrics, uh, which I'm sure maybe there's a downside to that. Who can say having everything quantified and <laughs> measurable in that way. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't then like I had, uh, hits on my own site that I could look at if I wanted to, but it wasn't public. No one could mm-hmm. see if they were going up or down. It was just there. So, at what point did that become a viable career? Like, at what point were you like, I'm not going to bother looking for, you know, like a full-time job. I'm going to do this. Uh, it was during grad school. Um, wow. I was selling, and still am, uh, the site supports <laughs> itself through through selling merchandise, t-shirts, and make these fun t-shirt designs. And I worked out I needed to sell three shirts a day to uh, make food and rent. Mm-hmm. And... I was selling them directly, so I'd get an email every time someone bought a shirt, and I could see, uh, I started hitting those three shirts a day pretty reliably, and it blew my mind, because I remember distinctly being in the shower and thinking, like, who are these three presumably topless people today (laughs) who would be like, today's saying I'm going to buy a shirt from Ryan? And once that became uh, reliable, like, I could could expect us to to hit my rent, um, it kind of became this choice of do I want to to get a job or, or try the fun thing? And I'll tell you that when I did become a full-time cartoonist, I kept it a secret for a year because <laughs> at the time uh, there may still be the Wikipedia had a list of full-time cartoonists. There were all these people, full-time web cartoonists and there were all these, uh, you know, professional people who knew how to draw on it. And I was like, I I'm not at their level. I don't want to impose on this. So I did it for a year and then finally said, Hey, I've been doing this full-time for a year in secret surprise. And eventually, at some point, got added on the Wikipedia page. And I thought people would be mad at me, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. I was always worried. Like, I felt like what I have with Dinosaur Comics is a pretty aggressive aesthetic that could only survive online. Because 95% of people who see Dinosaur Comics are going to bounce off it. Why is it the same pictures? That doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. I don't understand this. I'm gone. <laughs> a lot of words. Too many words. See ya. But that 5% who get it and like it... Um, it'll feel like it's speaking to them personally because it is unlike most other comics. And the advantage of the internet is that you can find that, that 5% who will love it. And you can't do that anywhere else in print. If 95% of the people hate your strip, they're going to write letters <laughs> to the editor and they're going to drop your strip. But online, this 5% can self-select. 
and that that helps a lot. I feel like also the time, the era in which you started when you're talking about it was mm. a lot more ripe for that kind of thing. It's you know the last people five visited years websites. So. Remember websites? Yeah, yeah. I remember there I were mean, more it, than five websites with screenshots. The other four on them. Literally today, I had like a minute, and I was like, "Well, what can I go to on my browser?" And I was like, "Well, I I don't have I don't not want to shop anymore," and I had nothing. <laughs> like I couldn't figure out, and it used to be, you know, I would, I'd have my daily web comics. I've had, mm-hmm. you know, I had y- you and, and, and Penny Arcade and, and mm-hmm. PVP were in my little buttons on my, on my, um, bookmark bar, browser, you know, and you'd go through the, you know, you go through these every day and you go through the stuff and you'd read salon and it's just not like that. Um, mm-hmm. but if you like you and, 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 you know, my organization first, like we managed to get a toehold at that time. We're basically hanging on to those people. Yeah, it's hard. It's not great. Um, I think the the challenge that you have today is that when you're doing stuff through social media or through any sort of algorithmic feed, um, there's always something new and there's very little incentive to follow any author to see what they're mm-hmm. doing next because if it's good, you'll probably see it, right? That's the thought. I'll see the good stuff so I don't need to look for it myself. And... That's really hard for any artist because not everything you create is going to be super popular with everyone. And, you know, I think it's, I think there's probably critical consensus, right? That you don't have like, a, you're not fully experiencing music if you're only listening to like the greatest hits of the 80s. <laughs> you don't really have a full understanding of what's going on. And you're probably not seeing stuff that really speaks to you. So it's, it's hard because you're, you're in a system now where people, are basically saying, well, what have you done for me lately, mm-hmm. creatively? And I don't know what the answer is to that. I wish I did. Do you think um, that's just us being old? No, I don't think so. I think, I think you see a bit of like Marshall McLuhan in there where the medium is the message, the medium changes the message. Yeah. And you see the rise of relatable comics uh, showing up when social media expands because if you're in a system in which you're relying on people to share it for you, you'll want to do stuff that is relatable to the most amount of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, this, this fits. Um, I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I just feel like it's so interesting to see the form change when we had thought we built this everlasting independent monument to human creativity and now we have a much more centralized and it, corporate experience online. It definitely, and it seems like it happened really fast, I would say, where there were, you know, the long tail theory was, was preeminent. It was, you know, you took advantage of all these other things, these niches came out. And now things have switched over to this other kind of new monoculture. Like if you flip through TikTok, you flip through Instagram, it's kind of people doing the same sorts of things over and over again, slightly different variations of it. And like you said, it's not sticky. You don't really grab on. It's not really speaking to you so much. You'll get lucky every once in a while and see something. But, um, and then I realized I'm like, wait, Instagram was supposed to be somewhere I saw my friends and they're not, they're not on it anymore. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I feel like there's, there's still like really great stuff happening online. Absolutely. I just, I feel like it's just, it's so hard for those people to make a go of it mm-hmm. and to, find an audience, build an audience, have that audience support you when the way in which they're viewing what you're creating 
is not geared towards that. Like right. social media is not geared towards, as you say, hanging out with your friends. It's geared towards now giving you something new to keep you on the app for longer. Right. And that's a really hard situation in which to try to connect with people. <laughs> yeah. And I think the, the part where I said, you know, cause I'm, cause I'm old is just because I remember previously and I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. I loved that. And it's interesting too, because so I'm, I'm like a few years older than you, like literally a three and, and <laughs> that era that you started buying comics. And by the way, I love the idea that you're like, I'm an adult now. I'm going to become a comic reader. <laughs> it's such a weird, like all adults, I will go to the comic book store with my first paycheck and say like three comics, been, please. You've been aspiring to it for a while. Now it's time. Yep. Um, but but either way, like that time specifically in comics was amazing. The mm. first chunk of the two thousands was like like Marvel had just come out of bankruptcy and indie comics were sort of you know doing a whole thing in Vertigo and like it was a wonderful time to get into comics. And I um, yeah, I, I I you know so all of a sudden you get exposed to all this stuff that had you started reading comics 10 years before or 15 years before that would that would have never happened it would have been mm-hmm. the same thing anyway those are a bunch of sentences what is it about <laughs> what's do you what like what is a conversation but a bunch of sentences right, I, back and forth <laughs> there was no question uh what is it about the the medium that that kept you coming back to it you you went and you got some comics you said you hadn't ever really read them what mm. is it about that nobody does that where they're like i'm going to check out movies you know but comics are a different thing. I think they can. Like, I mean, people do do it, right? You have people who are like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know a, a gentleman of my acquaintance who was who grew up thinking that uh, romance movies were chick flicks and not for him. And he's like, I'm going to check out romance movies, and then discovers that these are really good, <laughs> right? Like, there's it's it's a genre. There's lots of cool stuff there. Um, for me, what what attracts me to comics the same thing that attracts me to uh, I did my my master's work in computational linguistics and both of them are these fields where there's still fundamental work to be done the fundamental questions are as yet open and not fully solved and it's also the same with video games those are three three things right the attractions i think and i can sort of the image i go to is like when i think of what is a really excellent game like what is a great game it has to have amazing gameplay and probably a good story, but it's also going to be doing something that I haven't seen done with games before. And mm-hmm. we take that almost without thinking about it, but that's a huge bar. Like a great novel does not do something with words on the page, generally speaking, because all the stuff you can do with words on the page has mostly been done in the novel form. <laughs> There's not mm-hmm. a lot of fully virgin territory there. But comics is the same way. Like when I think of great comics, I see them doing stuff that I haven't seen done before. And I can even after you know working in this medium for 20 years i can pick up a comic and see something and be like wow that's really cool i want to do that too like that there's there's some neat tricks here that i haven't thought of have never seen be done before and i think that's what's really exciting is that yes it's a fun storytelling medium and yes it's one that is intrinsically fun in the way that a page of comics looks fun and a page of prose doesn't quite look fun in the same way. Uh, not to knock on reading, we all love literacy, but you know, hold up a page of comics, a page of prose. I know which one your eye's going to go to first. It's there's so much potential there that is appealing. When w- did you become aware of sort of the mechanics 
of comics fairly quickly. You'd been doing dinosaur comics, so you you had an idea of, or actually, um, I mean, either way, you, you know, you're understanding sort of panel to panel mechanics, and mm-hmm. you know, I've been reading comics forever, but reading them sort of critically. And only now am I starting to be like, oh, I totally see what people mean when they say so-and-so is a master and the way that they lay out a page or, or just whatever to use that space that they have available to them. And it's it's one of the parts I love about it is that you're constantly dis- – th- what you're saying is discovering sort of new things that you can do with that medium. But when did you start to think of them in that way, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a form that you could manipulate and do stuff? Was, was, was it when you started, like, actually writing comics or – Oh, no, I think from the beginning, I'm very much mm-hmm. a formalist guy at heart. I love the little comics tricks you can do. Um, and I think probably pretty early on, I discovered um, Scott McCloud's understanding comics, which is like, yeah. here's some mechanics. You can do stuff with this. But I have a, a memory of, I wish I remember the cartoonist's name. I've seen the gag done several times where, uh, say you've got a two by three grid of comics, and in the third top panel in the upper right, the character reaches down into the bottom right panel mm-hmm. and steals something from himself. <laughs> and so from, if you read the comic, he grabs something from the future and then gets it stolen from the past. And so it's just a little, it's a comics trick. It's a, it's a using the form in a kind of fun formalist way. And I remember seeing that and be like, wow, that's so cool. Why is no one else talking about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like from the very beginning, I was just very excited about what the form can do and what you can do with this crazy little medium. What I think is interesting about comics is that it is both very simple, uh, you know, and you shouldn't notice it, but then when you do, it sort of changes things around. I, I've, I've, for some, I know a lot of people, I have a lot of friends who are letterers, mm-hmm. and letterers are supposed to do something that's invisible. Like, you're not supposed to notice it. It would slow you down as you're reading it. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, you, you see a great letterer do something, and I, I, I'm one of the, I guess, rarer people who are like, wow, that's great lettering. And like, if I see John Workman's name on a book, I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. And, no, that's great. And I feel like comics as a medium overall are kind of like that. You, you don't... The point is to read through the story and be told it. If you, if you stop and there's tricks and things like that, it's really impressive as formalism, but... Um, I don't know. It's it's sort of it's both things at the same time. Comics are kind of contrasting in that way. Yeah, I really I really I mean, love. So I can tell you. Sorry, go, go on. No, you. I was gonna say when I did um, with Albert Montes, we did a graphic novel adaptation of Slaughterhouse Five, and the big idea I had writing that was, all right, well, this book needs to justify its own existence. Like we already have Slaughterhouse Five in prose, so why do we want a comics version? And my thought was, well, let's make a book where if you read it, you'll say, what a great book. You won't say, what a great adaptation or, you know, what a great comic. I want to read the original novel. You want to say, what a great comic. This thing stands on its own. Mm-hmm. And so to justify that, I imagined in my head that Kurt Vonnegut, I'd hired him to write a comic <laughs> and he was a screw up and brought me this prose <laughs> manuscript. <laughs> and I'm like, I got to turn this into comics. Like, I can't print this as it is. And so I tried to use what I was calling all the little comics tricks in the book to make it feel as native as possible to that medium. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, there's a scene in the prose novel where uh, Vonnegut lists all the things that uh, Roland Weary is bringing to war. And in prose, it's a huge paragraph, which your eyes kind of glaze over and you get this sense that this is a lot of work. There's a lot of things he's carrying. But that's not going to work in comics. I'm not going to put a giant narration box there. And so... 
what we did was sort of a, a paper doll where you saw the character and you saw all the stuff on the page spread out around them, all labeled. And it gets the same effect, but it does in a way that is indigenous to comics, where it fits that form. And doing everything I can there to, to make it feel like this is a comics first, a comic first, not a photocopy of a prose novel with pictures added, um, was I think the reason why that book works as well as it does is trying to make it feel like it is a comic and not just pictures attached to words. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I usually get to this further along, but do you, when you write, um, when you write scripts, are you very detailed and sort of how you, you picture the page at a time or does it depend on the project? Or? I was in the very first script I wrote for adventure time. Number one, with uh, Braden and Shelley, uh, Braden Lamb and Shelley Paraline. Um, I'd written this script that says, you know, here's the page, here's the layout, this is what the panels are arranged as, here's what's happening, super detailed. And they took my script and they drew these pencils, sent them over, and they were completely different layouts than what I had described and were so much better. And I was like, <laughs> this is great, I will never do that again. <laughs> so now I, I, I'll say like, here are the panels, here's what's happening, here's what people are saying. But I don't um, do a layout unless I think it's uh, significant or important right. because these are artists. They are better at this than I am. That's that's the that's the standard wisdom of it. When you get it, though, when you when you you, you know when you had uh, somebody from Boom come to you and said, "Hey, you want to write this comic?" Uh, what did you think? Did you think, "Yes, I can totally do that"? Did you? Yeah, I did. Um, but I, I had that unearned confidence because uh, at the time. Adventure Time had had the YouTube short, which I'd seen, and they were part through the first season. So I had seen all Adventure Time that there was available to see. And mm -hmm. I had read Star Trek novels when I was a teenager, and I would get mad when they got details wrong. Like, this guy's not a biggest fan as I am because he didn't know that data's processing capability was 400 quadrillion quads and all this stuff. And so I felt like, well, I know enough about Adventure Time that I can write this. I didn't realize... Um, how hard it was to write a comic. You know, you That's kind of where I was getting to. Yeah, you figure out, I'll figure this out. Um, yeah. It, did you, um, get, did you get like a tutorial or like did the editorial sort of, you know, give you any tips? Like maybe don't, no. don't lay out real. Okay. Which no. is not surprising. <laughs> I, I get, I get how it goes, but um, yeah, they, they thought I was a professional. I think like, right. he's writing Dice comics for 10 years. So he can write adventure time. Mm -hmm. And I gave them no reason to think that I couldn't. But it was a learning process for sure. What, uh, like outside of that sort of how to, how to script or like, what, were there any sort of concepts that were hard to get your head around or there, like, what's the hardest part of, of writing a comic script for you? Hmm. Um, or was, it's probably changed over time. I would hope so. No, it's probably still the same. Hmm. Um, I tend to start with plot. And so I'll go for a walk and I'll think of all these stories and then, you write it down and it sucks because it's just a bunch of stuff that happens. <laughs> <laughs> and my first couple pitches to... That's for, a writer. A, yeah. <laughs> my first couple pitches for the Adventure Time Stories week, here's the next arc, here's the next arc. I preface it by saying, okay, imagine this but better because I knew how bad it sounded. Mm -hmm. And it took a while to figure out, like, you need to 
even at the outline stage, gives some clue as to who these characters are and why, she, why we should care. Otherwise, it's just, it reads like a six-year-old breathlessly telling you about a TV show he saw, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then holy crap, this happens, and it's really exciting. You're like, I feel nothing. You're just telling me it's exciting. <laughs> so how did I've you, sort of come to accept my outlines are bad. How did you know that? Like, like, and then, like, can be, I mean, were you looking at them and saying, I have to do better with this? Or, or were oh, you yeah. getting feedback for it? No, no. I think every writer has to be their own harshest critic. I, mm-hmm. I, I write something, I go to bed, I read the next morning. Um, I don't think I invented this. There's this concept I've heard others talk about, at least I hope so, of the, the suck fairy. The suck fairy comes at night and <laughs> makes things suck when you're not looking. <laughs> So I always you, feel like the suck fairy is just right over my shoulder the whole time. <laughs> it's not a vacation situation. I don't know. The way I write, I, I usually... Um, I mean, this has changed because Squirrel Girl, uh, like you say, was a comedy book mm-hmm. at its heart. And so there would be at least one or probably several jokes in every page. And I could tell when a page was good when it made me laugh, when I, when I was laughing at my own jokes, which is why I write alone where no one can see me because it's really embarrassing to be typing at your keyboard and chuckling to yourself. That's uh, fantastic, writing- by the way. <laughs> if you're writing something funny and you're making yourself laugh, that's, that's what should be happening. Yeah, that's, so. that's, that's the secret to writing comedy and, I guess, erotica is that your body tells you when you're doing <laughs> it right. But um, Fantastic Four is not a comedy book at its heart. Like, Johnny is funny and a lot of the mm-hmm. characters are funny. But it's not a book with a joke in every page. And it's, I mean, this is not a new experience for me. I had that with, with Iron Man, Dark Gold. I've written serious stuff before. But I find I kind of, without that crutch, my normal process is to write a page and be like, this page is good, on to the next page. When I hit page 20 of a 20-page comic, I'll reread the first 19 pages and they're good to go. Mm-hmm. But for something uh, more dramatic... I'll write 10 pages, I'll come back the next morning and I'll revise six of those pages because everything's more in flux and there's more ways, there's more than one way to make it good. You're not mm-hmm. just trying to hit that punchline, you're saying, oh, this, this is better for the plot, this, this sings more for the characters, there's, there's more choices which make it uh, more complex, surprisingly. So when you started, uh, you, you know, you, you got going on Adventure Time, you were doing those, did you, had you have greater plans to sort of be like, oh, I want to make more comics. I want this to be the thing I'm doing. Or did that, or was it just a lark for a while? Or It's still kind of a lark, I think. I mean, I like it. <laughs> I you've been, you've it. been at it for fun. a bit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I think the 50 difference... 50 issue runs, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the difference is that uh, a lot of people when they're trying to... Maybe that's not true. At least in the past, it was. it felt like a lot of people were trying to break in would be like, this is what I want to do, and this is how I'm going to do it. Right. Well, for me, what I wanted to do was make comics, and I was already doing it with dinosaur comics for 10 mm-hmm. years. Like, I had this thing going. And so uh, doing a print comic was fun, and I loved working with artists and seeing them, like, punch up my ideas and make them amazing. But it wasn't the only way into that, so it kind of felt like a fun side gig for a long time. <laughs> like, well, you weren't getting enjoyable. all... You weren't getting all of your validation from doing that thing. I guess you kind of already. I, mean, I, I imagine this conception of a career off. as a way to get validation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the only thing I had going. Um, yeah. Which I'd like to work that way. I think it's healthy because I would have to tie up all my self worth into the performance of a single comic. I can spread that across mm-hmm. four or five different projects. 
had you but had you had your eyes set on on like do you want to work for marvel or dc or something like that or just you know i mean See, you've done I feel like a, a little no of everything is the truth but it also makes me seem like such a jerk <laughs> to be like no it was no I, honestly, big deal for me you know they came calling and i said fine i'll write your funny book if you want me to but i guess i can take a break from my own dinosaur comics to write your pic- picture book for you mr lee but after that you know we really got to cut this out mm-hmm. No, and I, I mean, I think that's totally fair. I mean, it it sort of goes all different ways, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if the yeah. comics are good. So, you know, I mean, it, I love it, it probably drives people crazy. Who I've, I've talked to other people like this. I'm trying to think. There's people who, uh, actually, Mark Russell. I think the first time I talked to him, uh, you know, and I was really loving the work he was doing, and he's just like, no, nah, I didn't really want to do it. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was fine. And it was such an <laughs> anti like fanboy who makes it their life to like get into comics and and make them um but it kind of works like it brings something to it that that it doesn't happen the other way well i think that's kind of the thing people don't realize is you know when some when an artist or writer starts in a book usually the question is like oh my god this must be a dream country must have loved these characters since forever mm-hmm. but there are times where you will research a character like do i what's interesting about this character to me? How do I find a story here? And then you find something you're excited about and you pitch that version of the book. Like I didn't know anything about Squirrel Girl before I wrote her, besides the fact that I think she talked to squirrels. I would say a lot of people didn't. (laughs) Yeah, but there was no like, this is a lifelong dream. It was, there's a chance to do a book here. And so I took the weekend and I read everything I could about Squirrel Girl, which wasn't a lot of the time. And then at the end of the weekend, I knew that I really wanted there to be a Squirrel Girl book, and I really wanted to be the guy writing it. And I had this this pitch, I had this whole big idea. But that's a process. Like you don't. I didn't start out being like, my life's goal in this career is to write Doreen Green, mm-hmm. even though it has been incredible and I loved it and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It it starts as okay. There's this character. What the heck am I going to do with them? Like, what's interesting? Why do I care? <laughs> what, given- what's going on here? Were you given any kind of guidance or was it like, were you presented with that character or was it like, is there something you'd like to do? I oh, know they, it was a uh, will right. Moss contacted me saying, Hey, we're thinking of doing a squirrel girl book. Um, do you have a pitch? Take the weekend. Let me know. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> On that phone call. What do you say? You go, yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about squirrel girl oddly enough. <laughs> no, it was an email. I said, yeah, give me the weekend. I'll, uh, I'll look into it. Um, so how did that, how was that different sort of going from doing Adventure Time with Boom and then sort of working at Marvel or was it not? It was, uh, pretty similar. The main difference is that Boom's comics were 22 pages and Marvel's were 20 and nobody told me. So my first issue of Squirrel Girl oh. was two pages too long. <laughs> and I had to go a, and... You were just a couple of years late. You would have been able to do it. I know, I know. So I had to go and uh, revise that and change it to make it actually fit what they were printing. Um, but it's a very similar process. Like they're all professional comics companies. Mm-hmm. We're all trying to make the best books we can. We're all on the same team here. So it didn't feel like much of a difference at all. Uh, now, we were, we were talking about a, a little bit is that like, so when I read Fantastic Four that you're doing now, and, and I had, I had, I had been a really big fan of the arc that Dan Slott had done before, or mm-hmm. arc, whatever the, the, his run on it for a long time. And I was you know, I had I had loved it. I was really bummed it was over. And when your first issue came along, it was such a departure from that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and not in a bad way. I was hope I was like, don't try to continue what what he went on. But the other thing I thought was that you know, you seem to you seem to get it right away. And 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 I'm wondering, did you have much of a history with the Fantastic Four? Or did you the same thing? You like did your research and you know came up with ideas on it or? Yeah, they were like Batman in that I knew about them before I even read any comic books. Sure. Um, just through general culture osmosis and maybe like the bad 60s cartoon. I think I knew there was a fire guy and a rock guy and I'd seen the uh, bad movies about them. <laughs> like I knew the characters. And this is where you are at the point where you, you've got the opportunity to write it. Yeah, I got okay. the opportunity to pitch on what, what the book could be and I uh, took a day and I talked to my brother. He's always good to sort of throw around ideas. And my main pitch was, look, you're never going to go as big as Dan went. He has them saving the universe, the multiverse. This is incredible. Um, so don't. Let's tell mm -hmm. smaller stories. Let's tell self-contained stories. Let's make it this more uh, intimate book than it had been before, which is, I think, the only way I could. It's the only way I could find in, because like, like you say, like I didn't want... I'm not going to out Dan Dan. Dan's great at what he does. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, you like Dan? Well, here's some other guy. I'm trying to be him. Like, it's, it's never going to work. And so um, it helped doing something different. And uh, the secret from a writer perspective, one of the reasons I set up that way, so you had Ben and Alicia and Reed and Sue and then Johnny for issue three and then all together for issue four, that gives me a month for each character or set of characters to, like, really study them, really get inside them and find the voices and figure out how to write them and how to make them sound like they're supposed to sound so that when they do show up together, you don't have a situation where it's like, wow, Ryan certainly gets read, but doesn't know who Sue is or mm -hmm. <laughs> can't figure out Johnny's voice. So there was a practical reason that it made it possible for me to sort of hit the ground running and a uh, structural reason in that I felt like these were cool stories that I thought you could tell. Like, I think there's the thing that's great about the Fantastic Four is that they are set up for all these different types of stories, right? Like you've, you've got so many places you can go with them that you can't with other characters. There's so much potential with the, the set of these characters here with the caveat that this book has been running mostly full time since the sixties and you're going up against runs by, you know, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, John Byrne. No big deal, right? Like, there's there's a huge um, comparison that you have to go up against. So it's kind of a terrifying book in that sense. But I think as long as you're not doing what Stan and Jack were, you're not doing what Dan did, you're not doing what Hickman was doing, uh, you can find your own sort of flavor of it that can hopefully stand on its own two feet and not feel like a photocopy of what's come before. That's hope anyway. That's what I'm shooting for. Did you, I mean, what did you do to prepare when you said get to know the, did you, I mean, did you read like a ton of Fantastic Four? Yeah, certain it's things? great. It's, it, it's, <laughs> it, it, it is actual literal work to sit around and read comics all day. I'm aware. And it's, it's fun. I mean, it's normally I feel a little bit guilty if I'm goofing off, but that felt like, no, this is work. You're doing this. You figure out the characters. And it's also like, it's not just the characters, but, where they've come from. Cause I've, I've read a bunch of fantastic four comics. Um, I think when I started with squirrel girl, I didn't know a lot about the Marvel universe, mm -hmm. which is why the first couple villains she fights were all in the movies plus Galactus. Cause I love Galactus 
forever. Craven wasn't in the movie. Uh, I also love Craven. <laughs> Galactus <laughs> and Craven and um, Swarm, the guy made out of bees. <laughs> and I thought Swarm was a big deal because I had Swarm action figure that I got at, at uh, Giant Tiger. And when I put him in Squirrel my editor, Will, was like, where did you find this guy? I'm like, Swarm, man, he's got an action figure. He's made of bees. It says in the back of the box. He's a guy made out of bees. <laughs> So Craven Galactus Swarm and everything else in the movie. So I, since then, I'd done a lot of reading, um, you know, homework. Mm-hmm. And among that, I remember reading, uh, I think it's Fantastic Four number two, where they turn the Skrulls into cows. Uh, like, this mm-hmm. is wild. What a, what a great way to start a book. <laughs> have you ever read, I don't know if I actually have, or I just forgot I read it, but Grant Morrison did like a, the Skrull Kill Crew based mm-hmm. on that, like much later. Yes. This little moment. Yeah. And then uh, Chip forgot that it existed. into uh, his Howard the Duck story, too. Oh, yeah. There's a shapeshifter in that book who got her powers by eating a hamburger that was made out of Skrull Cow. <laughs> okay, I remember that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's great. So you read a, a, a whole bunch of Fantastic Four. Where do you begin to form an idea about what it is that you're going to bring to it that is unique to you? That is, or, or, or like, what is the what are the aspects of it that, that you think you know that, that really interested you? That's a hard question. You're you're asking that, and I was like, oh my god, what am I doing that's unique to me? <laughs> well, I mean, like at some point, you said there's a German, there's an idea that germinates, and the the suck fairy wasn't super hard on you that yep. day. You know, like like what what was the thing that you hit on? It was a road trip. It was mm-hmm. let's let's take away a lot of the accoutrements that they've had. So the Baxter building, the wealth, the popularity, the celebrity, and let's have them just roll into town where there's a weird problem and help with the problem. And, you know, not every story is going to be that obviously, but that sort of the core of that, of four weirdos who want to help. I think that's the phrase I, I keep in mind where they're, these four weirdos <laughs> and you know it's not accurate because there's more than four of them and there's a lot more complexity to but the, the heart of it of just being four weirdos who want to help i feel like that feels very true to the fantastic four to me mm-hmm. but also i'm not sure you could sum up any other run with that phrase in quite the same way so that's sort of the heart of it i, th- I thought it was a very interesting that is not the way that a comic book relaunch or whatever it is, a new arc, a new, a new artist writer on a book starts mm-hmm. where, you know, it, it, they're one off stories. It like, like, I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but it felt oh, like the kind unusual. of, it, well, no, like the first issue and I, I get them mixed up, which was first. It was read. It was uh, Ben and Ben, Alicia, ben and Alicia first. With- okay. Um, the, uh, I'll have, you know, that three of the four issues so far have been picks of the week on iFanboy, which is the, uh, the format of our kind. show. Thank you. So, uh, you know, but even so, like it was such a departure from how a, a sort of a new story usually starts in these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. Did, did you do that on purpose? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, see, the thing is, um, I agree with you. It is a very bold start to be like, this is a new Fantastic Four, a new number one. And here's a small story about Ben and Alicia helping a guy who's sad about his breakup. Like, that is not what you think of when you think of Fantastic Four number one. Um, I think it works because it, it works as a statement of this is not going to be what you're expecting. And we're going to be telling these more emotional stories and all that stuff. Um, 
but I kind of stumbled into it because when I pitched the number one and was writing the number one, I was, I had not asked. I was just <laughs> assuming that we would continue the numbering from Dan. So this would be Fantastic mm-hmm. Four number uh, 48, 49, I think, maybe even 50. And that is a new artist, a new writer, but it's not a new number one. And so I gracefully, completely accidentally, sidestepped all those expectations that come with the new number one to be a huge blowout, to show you like, here's their powers, here's what they can do. This is an amazing team, you're gonna wanna stick around. Instead, I was like, here's two of them, and they're two weirdos (laughs) rolling into town trying to help people. And um, I was really pleased. Uh, I I can see the letters when, everyone else sees the letters when they're published in the page, because the editor, Tom Brevoort, answers them. So they don't go to me on Squirrel Girl, I answer them, but here they're, they're printed by the editor. I was really relieved in, uh, I think it's number three, where we got letters for number one, people being like, I, I like this. <laughs> this is great. This is not what I thought, but it's, it got me. Because um, Fantastic Four letter page is also a special and unique place. It goes back yeah. so much in time. And it has this history of like being a place where people discuss comics, good or bad. They're here to give you their opinions. And that's very different. Like normally you only print positive letters. <laughs> At least in Squirrel Girl, we had we didn't get very many negative letters, but they, we, we wouldn't print them because this is a, why would you want to print someone saying, I hate your book? But in Fantastic Four Letters, like there'll be people saying, I've read this book since the 60s and I did not like the last issue and I'm done reading it now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just there because it has a tradition of being a place to talk about the comic itself. And so it was nice to know that the, the nice words in that issue... Um, were earned, like were sincere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I crashed on my skis a couple of weeks ago, and I bruised my ribs, and it hurts a ton oh. to to. Why'd you do that? I don't because oh because I because it was the end of the day, and I was feeling overconfident. I was with my son, and I got hit in the face with a snow gun. <laughs> so, I mean, that's not what I would have chosen to do, but I'm hey. glad you're feeling better. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, he was shocked. He's like, you don't fall. I was like, yeah, that's my middle-aged rule. Don't fall. But, uh, I broke it. <laughs> it's it worse if you fall. Oh my God. Oh, it's, 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 it's mostly though, because I kept my wallet, uh, uh, like in my chest pocket. Mm-hmm. And so when I fell, that was Oof. what sort of bruised me. And the yep. saddest thing is that I have done this before. It was 10 years ago, <laughs> exact same injury. And I, I thought, nah, it couldn't happen again. Couldn't happen to the same guy twice. Anyway, so every time I feel like I'm about to cough, I steal myself for this like jolt of pain that I, I don't like. I'm gonna edit that all out. <clears throat> um hold on. I lost my train of thought because that's what happened. So you've got Fantastic Four, you have uh these sort of three disparate issues, and then it sort of comes together, you know, in, in another thing, as they should. They should all come mm. together. In How, issue four. Yeah. Oh wow! The number uh, is there. How, like how big? How far out are you with this? Like how big of a story are, are you planning? Uh, so Maybe I you started, shouldn't say. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I started writing in uh, February of last year, so we had a huge head start on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right now I'm working on number eleven, and I think four just came out. Seven, eight, nine, ten. 11. Yeah, so we're seven months ahead. Um, which is a lot, and I'm really glad yeah. that the first four issues were received as well as they had because, like, 
there's no way to course correct when you're 11 issues ahead. <laughs> you don't like it. It's going to be the same thing for the next year, half a year. Um, so I've, I've got, I'm pretty far out. How, how different is it working on a book like this uh, compared to like Squirrel? Squirrel Girl, you're kind of in your own neighborhood. You're not worrying about so much going around. But here you have all other sorts of stuff that comes in and out of books that, um, I mean, I, I don't want to say editorial mandates, but there's, you know, the lines go in different directions and you have all this history to deal with and you've got, you know, several main characters to juggle. And um, like, how did that, how's that working? I think <laughs> the main difference is that with Squirrel Girl, um, this may still be the case today. Uh, I could be like the world's, expert on the character <laughs> right because i read everything and i've written everything and like i have this encyclopedic knowledge that i can be the oracle for doreen eileen green uh but for fantastic four i am not going to sit here and say there's not someone on earth who knows more about sue storm or johnny mm-hmm. storm or ben Grimm or reed richards than me i mean you've always so, got tom brevoort right there so yeah, yeah and that's a great help like he's he's an mm-hmm. incredible resource um so part of it is feeling like you're, I mean, this is always true when you're writing a book for Marvel DC or anywhere that these characters likely predate you and will likely be there after you're gone. So you're, you're with them for a little while with someone like squirrel girl. This is a character that hasn't been done that often in the past. There's a lot of room to fill in the blanks and sort of invent the character with someone like fantastic four these characters have been explored really well by super talented people. And so you don't have those blanks. What you do have is the potential to put them together in different ways and to to tell stories that you haven't seen told before. So it's a different sort of challenge, but it's still a creative fun one. Now we spoke, uh, I mentioned like early on, it's, it's a, Fantastic Four, and you said Darkhold. Was it Darkhold Iron Man? Yep. Is that okay? Uh, and and um, Secret Invasion. It's very different tonally. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, you did. You've been doing dinosaur comics for a really long time, but th- this is. I mean, it's writing. But other than that, it's it's a very different kind of thing. Is this always been a thing that's been in you? You know, like have you had these kind of stories? You know, that you just needed some place to put or. Uh, is it is it a new stretch? Is it a challenge? Um, I think a little of both. Uh, mm-hmm. I like there's the stories that I enjoy, and that T-Rex in Dinosaur Comics will often summarize a story <laughs> that he <laughs> would like to tell, and that's me being like, "Here's a cool idea." I can't do anything with right now. Uh, but I remember I was listening to a uh, interview with my buddy Chip Zdarsky, and he was arguing that if he is writing comedy he can get maybe 20% of people to laugh at what he writes. But if he's writing drama, he can get 100% of people reading it to cry. And so in that sense, comedy is the harder one. And Mm. non-comedy is easy. And I was sort of shocked to hear that because I always felt just through like general cultural osmosis that comedy is the easy one. Comedy is not the real one. Drama is where the real hearts are broken. And it was kind of... uh, flattering to think that oh maybe i have been doing this on hard mode for the past 20 years but i don't think they're that different honestly because mm-hmm. you look at like iron man dark was body horror 
And if you look at comedy and you look at horror, both of them have a premise, you have a buildup, you have tension growing, and you have a release. And in comedy, it's a punchline. And in body horror, it's something happening to a body that shouldn't happen to that body. <laughs> but you've got the same sort of general structure of you're setting a premise, you're exploring it, and you're twisting it. And that, I think, applies a lot of stories, too. Like, you, here's where you think the story's going, and here's a fun thing that you didn't think was going to happen that makes you reevaluate everything. So it's, it's a lot of the same muscles um, being exercised, just in different ways. In comedy, though, do you feel as if... I don't, like, sometimes there's an out where you can, like, you have a, an impulse to say, oh, this is a funny thing I can put here. But in... And, and I'm, I'm defining fantastic four is drama very loosely sure. use that word like do, do you feel like you, you try to n- not go for the joke as often i mean I, I i know what you're saying and i've heard that about and i don't disagree with it what, what chip is saying and i've heard that from actors like comedy's hard dramas you know mm. but i feel like my instinct is to always go for the joke and i'm comfortable with that whereas being sincere is different and and feels harder yeah, I think it helps. For me, comedy is always coming from the characters. Like, Squirrel Girl mm-hmm. is a comedy because Doreen Green is a very funny person. And she makes the people around her funny. And she's got this great deadpan partner in Nancy. And it, it clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, Reed Richards is not a jokester, but he can be a very funny guy. Like, he's yeah. very deadpan. Uh, Johnny is funny. Like I think Johnny's a lot of fun and he's laughing at himself. He's laughing at others. So yes, it's not a comedy book, but I feel like maybe that's not true, but I feel like there's moments you can laugh in all the issues, definitely for Johnny's one. And when he's, you know, there with the team, there's, there's, there's moments there. It's not, it's not drama in the sense of like, everything is serious and sad and no one will smile. Right. It's drama in the sense of like, there's not going to be a joke in every page, but I have a fun time when I'm laughing and I feel right. like part of the joy of the fantastic four at their best is they're people you want to hang out with. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're a fun family. It's great to see Ben and Johnny razzing each other. And so I want to keep that sense of like, these are some funny people. They're, they're doing crazy stuff, wild, impossible things, but like they're still going to keep each other entertained and keep ourselves entertained watching that, I think. So then you got Secret Invasion, and I don't mm-hmm. think you have that same freedom there. No, that's, that's less of a... I mean, that's not a comedy at all. I think there's I, I, no I, jokes I, in that. <laughs> I was reading that book, and I, and, uh, I enjoy... It comes out, and I... I um, it it I was like, didn't this already happen years ago? And mm-hmm. I went, oh, I'm enjoying this. I remember because if I'm honest, like if I saw a cover of this Secret Invasion, I probably wouldn't notice it half the time. But I I made mm-hmm. you know I made an effort to read the first one. I was like, oh, I really enjoyed that. And then it came out again. I went, wait, oh yeah, I liked that. But um, I I, I did a double take. I remember I was reading. I was like, who's writing this again? And I I was <laughs> I was girl surprised. Girl. Yeah, no, I I really was. Uh, it, just in that it, it's a, I mean. It's a thriller. It's 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 a lot it's of mystery. Thriller, yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's uh that's a whole other muscle, I would think. Yeah, it kind of is, but it it sort of plays to my strengths, I feel. Mm-hmm. Pardon me, because um spy thriller, twisty, what do you start with? You start with plot. <laughs> you think of mm-hmm. what's all the twisty ways to get here and then 
what are the characters to make it work and feel true? And yeah, the advantage there that you already have these great characters of Maria Hill and Nick Fury, both of whom I love and think there's a lot of cool potential there. So that started as plot of, of twists and shocks and how do we have a big reveal at the end of each issue. And the hardest part there is making sure it holds together because you can put on a twist easy, but you need a twist that brings the story forward and makes sense for the characters. It doesn't have them just acting like idiots to make the next twist mm -hmm. happen. And that's the tricky part. Um, but then you have Skrulls, which are great because they're shapeshifters, but they're also people. They have conflicting desires. <laughs> and so, mm -hmm. I mean, in the first issue, uh, I don't want to spoil it too much, but there's like, there's a couple twists that rely on the Skrulls being shapeshifters like there were in the original event. But this is not that original event. It's not a, a big, you know, multiversal crossover. It's a much more paranoid story of this woman not knowing who she can trust, but being really competent at her job and her mm -hmm. job is to keep her safe. So it's, I think it's interesting. Um, I think there's some really cool ideas in the book that get explored. And yeah, you're right. It's not, it's not a funny book. <laughs> It's a, it's a thriller. Where did it come from? Like, it doesn't seem like there's an event around it. It just sort of showed up and I was like, that's weird. This is a secret invasion book. Like, were, yeah. were you, did they bring it to you? Yeah, they asked if I had any interest in it. And I was like, well, I don't know what you're looking for, but here's secret invasion I would want to write. <laughs> um, I think initially it was planned to tie in with the TV show that's going to come out, I think this year. Um mm -hmm. But also it's very hard to keep everything in sync. So it's more like the TV show gave them the idea of, hey, what if we did a new Secret of Asia comic? What could that look like? Let's ask some people. Let's ask Ryan. And I was like, well, here's something that is probably unrelated to the show because I haven't seen anything from the show. <laughs> but I think it's mm -hmm. a cool idea around the idea of uh, shapeshifters trying to pass themselves off as important people. One of the things I noticed about that last issue is that... Um there were really good action scenes, not dialogue heavy stuff. I mean, it was, it was based on the plot, but there's, I'm trying to remember cause I read a billion comics and I, I, I think that Maria was the, jumps uh, out of the, the side and, yeah. yeah. And I just thought, wow. And I thought, I don't actually see action scenes like this that take up, you know, a couple of pages and, and you know, how, how are you approaching those scenes? I mean like that, you know, again, that's a long way from, from dinosaur comics. Are you, are you, letting the artist run with it a little bit or you know um you yeah that's learn that muscle it's uh i gave myself so sort of the big idea with this book my challenge as a writer is i'm always trying to put too much stuff in the books where sure. i've got 25 pages worth of plot and 20 pages to put it in and so you're always being like can i cut this panel can i cut this panel how do i get it all to fit and it, i mean squirrel girl is obviously very dense reading and there's a, a joy in that in that comics cost a lot of money <laughs> so you're getting more mm -hmm. of your money's worth and there's all these balloons but i thought for secret invasion i wanted to i purposely tried to under plot it a bit where there's still like mm -hmm. a lot of stuff happens in the issues but i wouldn't feel cramped in the way that i normally do as an experiment and what it resulted in was that i could have a couple pages for a fight scene to really breathe and to like let the artist show off their chops and to really sell the the back and forth because the fight scene 
to my mind, is kind of like a sex scene, right? Where you. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on, on who the artist is on it, but I, I, it's great. Francesco Mobili. That's it. And he's great. He's, um, he's super talented. He does, he did, the first issue, he had a uh, Dutch angle in our first double page splash, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And that was not in the yeah, script. I think, that was just cool. I think visually, there's a lot of things going on where I think, I mean, given what you just said, it seems like you left room for the artist to yeah. really be able to uh, uh, to go after it. And that's actually what happened, which is sort of your best case scenario of yeah. making collaborative I mean, I'm still, I'm still plotting it out and I'm putting in like descriptions of what's happening and stuff. But mm-hmm. for me, the fight scene is, um, you know, kind of like, I imagine, I've never really written one, but the, the same format, same purpose of a sex scene where it's like you're showing mm-hmm. these characters coming together and bouncing off each other and they're emotions and conversations are happening through their actions and what they're saying. And it's not just, you can't have it just be, then they punch each other and it's awesome because there's nothing being decided. There's no way to the scene. You have to have some meaning behind it. And nice thing about secret invasions, you have these big ideas of like, who do you trust and what's justice? And so when you have, you know, Maria Hill and Tony Stark come to blows, there's a real difference of opinion there that they're trying Mm -hmm. to reconcile. They try it with their words and that doesn't work. And so they start punching each other. <laughs> Do you think that you took a version of Maria Hill that existed or you sort of, uh, added something to it? I, I and I, and I say that cause I think that she shows up in a lot of comics for a while and has been sort of formless for a little bit, but I feel like you've taken a real direction with her. Yeah. yeah I think you always, um, take the character in your mind. And for me, Maria Hill, the word that always comes to mind is competency. Like she's someone who's mm-hmm. very good at her job. And so the whole starting point of the secret invasion was like, this has happened before to her. She's not going to let it happen the same way twice. She's going to be ready for it. Like, what do you get when aliens try to invade against someone who is effectively, you know, Marvel's version of Amanda Waller, where she's really mm-hmm. good at her job. <laughs> that I think is is what where I saw her as just someone who is a professional and almost uh, like sees superheroes as a fact in the world and it's something that she can work with or against. But end of the day, her her concern is is getting the job done. I said Amanda Waller. Also, there's a bit of like um, Judy Dench's M from the, mm. the Bond movies, like someone who's just really good at her job. Right. <laughs> has, that, that's her whole focus of her being. Um, that's the heart of her for me. And I don't think I'm making that up whole cloth. I'm sure there's been other representations of her that, that have it, but maybe I turned up the volume on that a bit because that's how I saw her. I mean, from a person who not too long ago didn't know a lot about Marvel Comics, it seems like you have taken a lot of it in. I mean, if you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're able to be like, this is what I want Maria Hill to be. And, and she's got a bigger profile than maybe she used to, but I mean, that's like, is it, is it like a regular thing? Are you, are you, uh, are you reading a lot of comics at this point? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's not work, right? No, it's <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it is, but well, you only read what interests you. I think that's the secret. And I think the, the truth of it that people don't talk about often is that um, there's a lot of characters that I wouldn't write and shouldn't write. There's characters mm-hmm. that I 
don't have a lot of interest in. And if I don't have interest in the character, then I should not be writing that character, right? Like I could, I could try, if I was going to pitch, I'd try to find a way in and, and find something that excites me about the character. But if after that process, I'm just like, I don't care about this person, <laughs> then no, I, I don't want to be writing this book. But I already care about Maria Hill. And so it felt like there was a very easy in for that. Um, we're going to wrap up here. Um, but I, I was wondering if you could tell me something about the craft of making comics that you know now that you wish you had known when you started. Oh, sure. That's easy. Yeah? Um, yeah, well, this is the thing. And this is maybe basic, but it, it took me by surprise. Or at least I hadn't thought of it. I was coming from Dinosaur Comics, and the first comic I wrote for someone else was for my good friend, Rosemary Moscow. We did a little mini comic called Space Rex, four pages, maybe five. And I wrote a script, and I sent it to a friend of mine, the cartoonist, Andy Renton. And he was very mm-hmm. kind, said, this is great. He was like, if I give you some advice, the main advantage you have in comics over prose is that you know where on the page your words are going to land. In prose, it's, it flows. You could type it up in a Word document. Once printed, your word could be anywhere on the page. But in comics, you know when the reader will be turning pages, so always give them a reason to turn the page. And if you look at my comics, uh, there'll be either a punchline at the end of the page, the laugh carries over the page turn, or there'll be uh, a setup or a question or someone speaking off panel who's identified. There's tiny little mini cliffhangers that when they're done well, they're invisible. Right. But you don't notice them carrying you through the book until you get to the end. You think, wow, that book flew by and I really enjoyed it because I was so engaged. When really what I'm doing is at the end of every page, I'm asking you a question or sending something that'll give you that little push to get to the next page, give you the little forward momentum. And it's something that you can only really do in comics. You can't do it in prose unless you're really getting the level of like handling the whole publication of the book. Uh, you can't do it in, in films or, or music, but in mm-hmm. comics you can. You have full control over the page. And I think that's part of what makes the medium special is that you have this great connection into the reader's experience mm-hmm. that you don't get anywhere else. And you can exploit that and, and make it a cool experience for them. I think it's great that that came from Andy. Yeah. <laughs> Given that, like, you know, uh, Andy's a, a great wonder, like a, a genuinely, like, this is a, a, a great person. But he, he, does, he does Owley, which is very mm-hmm. simple comics. But I love that, like, there's a reason that those books are successful, you know, because he knows things like that and can pass them, pass yeah. them along. And, and he just told me that. Like, I yeah. love that he's like, hey, Ryan, here's a fundamental technique of the medium that you'll be thinking about and talking about 20 years from now. Just so you know, <laughs> quick tips. And it's, it's, it's absolutely true. And I feel like it's, it's something you'd need to be doing as anyone making comics is to keep that in mind because that's part of the basics of the form. And that first comic I did with, with Ro, uh, she drew it beautifully. But looking back at him, I'm like, yeah, there's, there's no reason for these pages to end when they did mm-hmm. because I, I wasn't thinking of that. And every comic since then, there is a reason why the last panel on that page is that last panel on the page. That's great. Yeah. Andy's um, great. Team Renton. I, 
all the way. Uh, I, with with great apologies, is sort of you've done a lot of work. There's a lot of different books yes. out there, and I've sort of focused on a couple, but it's the comics that I know best. So, and uh, and I and I love talking about craft like that. So, um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun. Oh, it's my pleasure. Going. Nothing to apologize for. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I lost my train of thought completely because I just ended the thing. But um, yeah, I can probably just end it there. It'll be fine. Um, that's all I got. Perfect. You can get back to your night and your life. <laughs> and all those this things. This was a lot of fun. Really Good. I'm really glad. Uh, it was fun. I haven't I haven't actually done uh, any interviews in a while, so it was fun to to get back into it. And uh, I don't know you at all, so I got to get to know you, and that's always makes it good. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, you have a great night. Thanks so much. I This probably goes up early March. I will send you an email just when it's there. Sure. Uh, before I let cool. you go, I've been yeah. staring at the uh, iFanboy logo at the top of the Riverside Lake, this whole oh, yeah, conversation. Yeah. That's the Fantastic Four font, right? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> like, we I came up that with F. that. We came up, I mean, we came up with it. We, we started that website in 2000. And like we we had this idea that our friends would because we basically after college we had an email list that went around we reviewed our books every week with a bunch of people like oh we'll start a website because it was 2000 and then none of those friends ever came and so but but that was like our <laughs> at the time we were like this says comics and i still i hate the name iFanboy. i mean it's 23 years old and i'm much older and i wouldn't write that now but mm-hmm. i like that aesthetic of it still we, just, we stuck with that part i mean yeah. i was gonna mention we talked about things you learned in comics uh dinosaur comics also 20 years old and you look at the panel layout and the bottom three panels, they're all standing on the comics border, which is like the one oh one mistake <laughs> everyone makes, but I'm stuck with it. <laughs> when did you realize that though? Oh, like maybe a year in. Oh, okay. I read some okay. criticism and be like, What's the mistake people make is have their characters stand on the comic border and I was like, Fuck. And they're like, also not having any gutters. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> Well, adversity makes you stronger. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a form that means I'm I live with the choices I made 20 years ago, forever. Yeah, my 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 life's work is called I fanboy. <laughs> We're not so different, you and I. <laughs> there are a lot of parallels. <laughs> All right, uh, you take care, and and thanks again so much. My pleasure. As always, I have to thank my guest. I have to thank Ryan for coming on here. Well, he's he's a smart cat, isn't he? Uh, you can uh, follow him or find out more about him at quants.com, um, website he just ended up with and really did something with. Make sure to check out his books, Squirrel Girl, Fantastic Four, Secret Invasion, many books. He's, a, he's very prolific. Go to iFanboy.com to find out about more, and thank you to the iFanboy patrons for helping sponsor this program. <laughs>